Welcome to the Cato Institute. I'm Roger Pilon, uh, Cato's Vice President for Legal Affairs, uh, founding director of Cato's uh, uh, Robert A. Levy Center for Constitutional Studies, and your host for this afternoon's uh, debate. I want to welcome also the uh, people who are joining us through C-SPAN and through Cato's uh, live streaming. We're here to consider whether religious liberty can coexist alongside modern anti-discrimination law. That's the question the Supreme Court will uh, hear oral arguments on tomorrow when it, hears, uh, when it uh, hears the case of Masterpiece Cake Shop uh, v. Colorado Civil Rights Commission. The case arose when uh, Charlie Craig and David Mullins, a gay couple, walked into the Masterpiece Cake Shop in Lakewood, Colorado, uh, owned and operated by Jack Phillips, a devout Christian. As with uh, all of his customers, Phil Phillips had no problem with selling a couple anything off the shelf, uh, but he declined to make a custom-made cake to celebrate the couple's uh, uh, wedding, uh, citing his religious convictions. And he was willing to direct them to nearby bakeries that would design a cake, uh, as he had done with others. Unsatisfied, Craig and Mullins filed a complaint with the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, alleging that Phillips had violated the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act. Finding in their favor, the commission ordered Phillips, among other things, to conduct comprehensive staff training, including for his family members who worked at the bakery. After supporters of Craig and Mullins picketed the bakery, Phillips lost 40% of his business and most of his employees. He appealed the commission's decision, but like courts around the country that it is, have decided similar cases um, with respect to uh, florists, bakers, photographers, and others, Colorado's uh, Court of Appeals upheld the commission and the Colorado Supreme Court declined review. The U.S. Supreme Court may now draw some lines or it may uphold the decision below. To debate this question, we have two men who have written often about it. Let me introduce them uh, to you. Ilya Shapiro will speak first on behalf of the petitioner, Jack Phillips. Ilya is a senior fellow in constitutional studies here at Cato and the editor-in-chief of the Cato Supreme Court Review. Before joining Cato, he was a special assistant advisor to the multinational uh, force in Iraq on rule of law issues, and he practiced Patton, Patton Boggs uh, and Cleary Gottlieb. Ilya is the coordinator of uh, Cato's well-regarded amicus program, through which he's filed more than 200 briefs in the Supreme Court. He's the author of Religious Liberties for Corporations, question mark, Hobby Lobby, the Affordable Care Act, and the Constitution. And he's contributed to a wide variety of academic, uh, popular, and professional publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Harvard Journal of Law and Public Policy, the LA Times, New York Times Online, and more. He appears regularly on radio and TV. Uh, in 2015, the National Law Journal named Ilya one of its uh, 40 rising stars uh, in the legal community. A graduate of Princeton, the London School of Economics, and the University of Chicago Law School, um, Ilya uh, clerked for Judge E. Grady Jolie on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. Arguing for the respondents, uh, Charlie Craig and David Mullins, will be uh, J.P. Schnapper Castorus. Uh, John is the uh, NAACP Legal Defense Fund's Special Counsel for Appellate and Supreme Court Advocacy. 
In his role, he works with LDF attorneys on strategic development and preparation of appellate and Supreme Court briefs. Prior to joining the LDF, uh, John worked uh, as a um, associate at the Washington firm of Sydney Austin, where he focused on appellate representation and complex commercial litigation. He's published uh, on a range of international and domestic policy issues in the Washington Post, Politico, and elsewhere. Uh, he co-authored a Supreme Court brief on behalf of lesbian and gay service members in the landmark uh, U.S. v. Windsor case. Uh, JP, as he's known, is uh, currently a fellow at uh, the Georgetown University Law Center and co-chair of the Constitution Project's Young Professional Committee. In September 2013, he was named one of the top 99 foreign policy leaders under 35 by Diplomatic Courier and Young Professionals in Foreign Policy. A graduate of Stanford, Harvard's, Harvard's uh, Kennedy School, and the Stanford Law School, uh, J.P. clerked for Judge Roger L. Gregory on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit, and uh, Judge Scott Stuckey on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Armed uh, Forces. Our speakers will each uh, have 15 minutes to present their opening arguments and five minutes to respond, after which I'll have a couple of questions myself. We'll then take questions from the audience. We'll conclude at 5.30 in a reception in Cato's Winter Garden. So let's begin. Please welcome Ilya Shapiro. For those of you watching at home, I should add that there is a Twitter hashtag for this event. It's hashtag CatoScotus. So um, I was getting in some last minute tweets. And indeed, if you followed JP and me all day, you could see a little battle of the GIFs, or GIFs. I'm still not sure how to pronounce those. Um, and that's all fun. Uh, but it just shows that there are many ways to slice uh, this case. Um, and I hope that you uh, won't think that what I present is, is half-baked. Uh, as long as I don't end up with yolk on my face, we'll be all good. Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, this case, I think, has been misunderstood by a lot of people. Uh, it is not a case that ultimately uh, the court is being asked to decide uh, between competing rights or between competing peoples or whose interests are of more important in, in American society. Uh, it's instead one where we can see um, the good that has come from Obergefell, the case that uh, Cato filed briefs and that I filed briefs in uh, supporting the challenges to the same-sex, uh, uh, to, to, the, to the traditional marriage laws in, in many states. But of course, Obergefell was about public action and what sorts of licenses states uh, had to give and on which basis they could make those decisions. Obergefell also said, in a, the majority opinion by Justice Kennedy, many who deem same-sex marriage to be wrong reach that conclusion based on decent and honorable religious or philosophical premises, and neither they nor their beliefs are disparaged here. And that's what this case is about. Private actors and respecting people's differences and living together in a pluralistic uh, society. My friend here wants to make this case about bigotry and civil rights, about the next step to equality for a persecuted minority. Well, if we take Obergefell seriously, and I certainly cheered its result, uh, then this isn't about bigotry or even whether society has to tolerate distasteful views. Uh, this, but this is indeed a case about civil rights 
for persecuted minorities, the very few American small businesses that can't bring themselves to support same-sex weddings. More fundamentally, it's about the freedom of speech and conscience, and recognizing that the awesome force of government shouldn't be brought to bear on stamping out dissenting views. Again, from Kennedy's majority opinion, quote, it must be emphasized that religions and those who adhere to religious doctrines may continue to advocate with utmost sincere conviction that by divine precepts, same-sex marriage should not be condoned. The First Amendment ensures that religious organizations and persons are given proper protection as they seek to teach the principles that are so fulfilling and so central to their lives and faiths and to their own deep aspirations to continue the family structure they have long revered. The same is true of those who oppose same-sex marriage for other reasons. And so uh, Obergefell allows, necessarily, lots of play in the joints. It understands that unlike in certain other contexts, those involving race, for example, uh, there need not be animus uh, uh, driving those who uh, disagree with uh, the idea of same-sex marriage. Uh, and so uh, every last bit of dissent need not be um, stamped out. This is actually a speech case, not a, for the most part, a religion case. Uh, and that's because unlike, say, in Hobby Lobby or Little Sisters of the Poor, there is no Religious Freedom Restoration Act here. That is, uh, the case of Employment Division versus Smith uh, said that um, if there's a generally applicable law that incidentally burdens religion, you must seek your exemption from the legislature. And that's where we have all these RIFRAs, federal and state. Colorado does not have uh, a RIFRA, and so this generally applicable anti-discrimination law that does burden religious exercise, uh, you know, that should be the end of the game. Uh, but the reason why free exercise claims are still part of this case, and I'll, I'll lead with this even though um, I think the speech theories are stronger because most people think that this is a religious freedom case. Uh, although if there's not five votes for the, for the speech uh, argument, I can't see how there would be five votes for the religion one. But regardless, the reason why the free exercise claim remains is because uh, uh, CADA, the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act, has not been used in a uh, neutral and generally applicable way. Uh, in other words, uh, several times religious um, uh, patrons uh, went to uh, atheistic or uh, other secular bakers and requested certain religious uh, cakes. Uh, some of them had uh, uh, messages that were not friendly to the LGBT community, and they were refused. Uh, and the Colorado Civil Rights Commission uh, de declined uh, to pursue any actions against those bakeries, saying that it wasn't um, the religious nature of the uh, customers uh, that was being discriminated against, but rather the message. I mean, I find that a little rich, uh, not the cake, but the legal argument, in that um, the same thing uh, could be and is uh, being said here, as I'll go into uh, in a bit. Uh, Mr. Phillips, Jack Phillips, the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop, like with all of these wedding vendor cases that we've seen, uh, none of these people turn back uh, gay people at the, uh, at the front door and refuse to serve them. Uh, it's only when they're being asked to do something uh, to convey a message relating to uh, the celebration of their union uh, that uh, it starts becoming a federal issue. Uh, moreover, the case here goes beyond what was happening in Employment Division versus Smith. There, it was a prohibition of a particular type of drug that Native Americans wanted to use for their religion. Um, but here, it's someone who's being 
forced to do something against uh, their religion, which is uh, a step beyond being stopped from doing something that your religion requires. The Free Exercise Clause uh, forbids coercing people of faith to celebrate events that they consider to be both religious uh, and against their religion. And so that is why the religion, uh, uh, the religion liberty argument is still there. I commend to you the brief by uh, Doug Laycock at the, the University of Virginia, who's one of the nation's foremost religious liberty scholars. And he was on the other side in the Little Sisters case, I should add. So he is a very kind of plays it down the middle, uh, talking about why Colorado is not playing it down the middle uh, in this case with this law. But let's move to the main event. Uh, and that's this issue of compelled speech. In 1943, Justice Robert Jackson, one of our most celebrated jurists in whose seat Justice Gorsuch now sits and referred to Jackson at his uh, nomination and uh, uh, oath-taking ceremonies, wrote uh, in the case of West Virginia versus Barnett in 1943, which struck down a requirement that the kids of Jehovah's Witnesses salute the flag and say the Pledge of Allegiance. This is during wartime. Uh, we had to be patriotic, make sure that uh, we weren't supporting our enemies. But nevertheless, that requirement was struck down. Justice Jackson wrote, if there is any fixed star in our constitutional constellation, it's that no official, high or petty, can prescribe what shall be orthodox in politics, nationalism, religion, or other matters of opinion, or force citizens to confess by word or act their faith therein. Uh, as the court would say 30 years hence, now 40 years ago, in the New Hampshire license plate case, the right to speak and the right to refrain from speaking are complementary components of the broader conception of individual freedom of mind. This involved the New Hampshire uh, slogan, live free or die, uh, and the court struck down that requirement. It's the reason why wherever you live, in whichever state or the district, if you don't like uh, the default uh, slogan that's on that license plate in the district, it's no taxation without representation, you can ask for and have to be given uh, some alternative because even though nobody would think that this is your message, that New Hampshire or DC or whoever is conveying still, you cannot be forced to convey uh, that message. Indeed, never uh, has the court compelled expression uh, in circumstances uh, like these ones, even where there is a uh, dignitary harm, that is someone is being uh, offended or their feelings are being hurt or they're being feel, uh, they, they, they feel like second class citizens because someone else is taking a decision um, uh, to, to um, exercise their First Amendment rights. And ultimately, this case involves the regulation and compulsion of speech, not conduct. This is not uh, a rule about uh, who has to sell to whom or when uh, or hire whom or when. The key is that Jack Phillips doesn't want to convey a particular message, not that he doesn't want to do business with gay people, either individually or as a couple. He invited uh, the... Um, the couple here to buy cupcakes or other uh, baked goods or anything else, a birthday cake. Um, now, you might say, uh, well, what is a wedding cake? It's just, uh, you know, it's a, it's a symbol of the, of, of, the, uh, of the two people who are getting married. Uh, it's not uh, a judgment on the baker. Uh, in fact, uh, if a wedding cake is very plain, it might not be saying much at all. Uh, the conversation here was cut off before there was even talk of what kind of design uh, the couple wanted or whether they wanted any words on it. Or is it were there going to be rainbows? Ultimately, they did get a, a, a rainbow cake uh, made somewhere else. But um, 
all that Mr. Phillips said was, I will not make a custom cake for the, uh, for the gay wedding. Uh, but that's okay. That's enough to uh, invoke the protections of the First Amendment because to qualify, artistic expression need not contain a, quote, succinctly articulable or particularized message. That's according to the case of um, Hurley versus Irish American Gay and Lesbian Bisexual Group of Boston where the Supreme Court upheld the right of parade organizers to exclude uh, an LGBT group uh, that wanted to march uh, in the parade. Uh, and indeed, the First Amendment also doesn't treat avoiding offense as enough to justify restricting or compelling speech. We've seen that in the um, Cohen versus California, the fuck the draft case during the Vietnam War. We've seen that uh, just this past term, the Tam versus Mattel disparaging trademark, the slants uh, case. Something being offensive is not enough to restrict it. Um, and indeed, cakes can have a different message in different contexts. You could have a Latin cross, a beautiful Latin cross made by a sculptor for a Lutheran church, or it can be used to burn at an Aryan Nations event. You could have a rainbow design for uh, some kid's birthday party or for an LGBT pride festival. Um, Democratic bakers could make elephants for kids, uh, or they could make them for a Trump rally, uh, say. So uh, even the manufacture of a cake, which might not be expressive in all contexts for a wedding, uh, certainly is. That's uh, why people pay such sums and commission them um, as, a, as a central part of their celebration. Now, once you accept that expressive activity can be protected and courts police that expressive, non-expressive line all the time, then it's merely a question of line drawing. So clearly, uh, there are certain traditional arts and functions that are protected by the First Amendment, writing, painting, photography, sculpture. Well, what is cake making but sculpture using fondant and buttercream and whatnot uh, as opposed to uh, plaster? Indeed, there are thousands of cake designs that have been copyrighted, uh, and um, each one that, that Phillips produces is unique. There's a brief uh, that was filed uh, deliciously by a law firm called Baker Botts that had 27 uh, full-color pictures of cakes and talked about the artistic uh, design and merits uh, what's going in there. Um, I think that it's much easier to draw the line between artisanal baking or floristry, for that matter, uh, and non-expressive activities like limo driving, catering, renting out an event space. They might have or they might raise some other type of constitutional or statutory claims, but surely they are not expressive activities. And indeed, the Supreme Court has protected a whole law, broad swath of things that uh, you, know, you wouldn't think of as being uh, you know, Michelangelo or James Joyce's uh, Ulysses, things like flag burning and nude dancing and animal crush videos. If you don't know what that is, don't look it up. Uh, and uh, violent video games, all, all protected. And the circuits taking the Supreme Court's lead have recognized artistic expression as diverse as tattooing, custom painted clothing, and stained glass windows. Uh, the couple of cases where the Supreme Court has taken up public accommodation laws in the context of First Amendment expression, uh, the people uh, who are challenging those laws won. For example, uh, Boy Scouts of America versus Dale. Uh, the Boy Scouts could not be compelled to have uh, gay scout leaders because they're an expressive association. Or, as I said, uh, the parade. And if you can't force a parade to include the speaker, then you can't force a speaker to join the parade either. At the end of the day, the government doesn't need to do this. Uh, we don't live in the world of Jim Crow, thank God, where we had state-supported segregation as well as cultural and social racism with violence ever in the offing, and a black family traveling couldn't get a place to stay or a place to eat. 
Quite the reverse. Here we have a minority of businesses without market power who are taking an unpopular position and paying the price for it. This is not controlled by Piggy Park, the lead case that uh, JP, I'm sure, will talk about, uh, a restaurant that did, barbecue restaurant that did not want to serve gay people, or sorry, black people, or told them that he'd serve them, but they would have to be outside. Here, Jack Phillips offered to sell cupcakes or other confections, uh, but he refused to make cakes for Halloween or bachelor parties or divorce parties. He would also, for that matter, refuse to make a pro-gay marriage cake for a straight couple. Let's say someone wanted to celebrate all the varieties of marriage. He would not want to do that. Um, there's a unique history of racial discrimination and subordination in this country. Uh, and opposition to interracial marriage is a part of that. And that's the most common hypothetical that's uh, tossed at those advocating uh, the position where I stand now. Uh, but I think you'd be hard-pressed to find uh, any example in history where someone opposes interracial marriage but is not otherwise racist, that would otherwise be okay with serving um, uh, you know, people of, of non-white non people, say. Uh, the support for traditional marriage here is different, as echoed in uh, Justice Kennedy's Obergefell uh, opinion. Trampling First Amendment rights, finally, is a serious business. Uh, while rights aren't absolute, there's no justification for invading them here. There are more than 100 wedding photographers in the Albuquerque area. That was a different case involving a photographer. There are more than 67 bakeries in Denver that specifically advertise cakes for same-sex weddings, specifically advertise that they do it, not that they, you know, that they will, you know, uh, uh, won't, not that the others won't do it. And the closest one is less than a tenth of a mile from a masterpiece cake shop. Only the most sincere believers would be willing to lose business over these beliefs. Uh, and indeed, businesses now attract customers, even and especially straight customers, by advertising their gay friendliness. A ruling for Colorado here uh, would lead to a different kind of parade, a parade of horribles. We might have Catholic artists uh, being forced to make let's celebrate party favors for divorces if they do it for weddings, Muslim graphic designers making flyers celebrating the one true God also for Jews, um, should gay bakers be forced to bake cakes for the Westboro Baptist Church? Ideology can be a protected class. It is in D.C., it is in Seattle, it is in several places around the country. Well, what about, I've always been curious about working at Cato. We're a libertarian organization. What happens when we deny employment to a socialist because he or she is, is socialist? I'll take that up with the HR department later. Uh, but ideology comes up in lots of contexts. Should black bakers be forced to bake a cake for the Aryan nation? Should, should a Seattle musician be forced to sing, this land is my land at a KKK rally? Or environmentalism is an ideology, right? Should environmentalist bakers be forced to make bear claws for job fairs in logging communities? Or a democratic painter who wants to paint a mural for the Obama library, if he does so, will he be forced to do so for the Trump library as well? Um, this case originates in Colorado. I don't know if Mr. Phillips is a football fan, but should Broncos fans make cakes celebrating the Kansas City Chiefs? Maybe not this year when the whole division is terrible, but in general. Uh, my wife is from Kansas City. She is very concerned about this particular hypothetical. Uh, and finally, should fashion designers be forced to create dresses for Melania Trump? I think we can celebrate a whole range uh, of freedom here uh, if we just uh, let bygones be bygones and celebrate everyone's freedom. Justice Kennedy could have forestalled some of this mischief by making clear that his ruling in Obergefell protects not just the right to advocate and teach religion, but also to exercise it, and that regardless, people on either side of the debate shouldn't be forced to convey messages they don't like. But he didn't. 
So it's left to the better angels of our, of our pluralistic nature to respect views and lifestyles that we may not like. Thanks. Thank you. We have um, 18 minutes instead of 15. Great. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, it's good to be back at Cato, and I think it's important to have uh, candid and civil discussions like this. Uh, I'd like to start off with two quick clarifications about the record in this case. The first is, uh, factually speaking, this is not just a case about uh, the denial of a particular cake, the denial of a custom cake. This is a case about the denial of any wedding cake at all. Mr. Phillips was rejected. He rejected the gay couple here out of hand after 20 seconds. There was no discussion, as Ilya alluded to, there was no discussion of what the uh, mess, the, the color scheme of the cake would be, what the written message on the top of the cake might be, what other artistic motifs uh, the couple might request. All Mr. Phillips needed to know was that these were two gay men who wanted a wedding cake. And for those of you following along at home, this is in the joint appendix at page 168 and 169, according to Mr. Phillips' own account, explaining in, in brief terms, all he needed to know was that they want, he does not create wedding cakes for same-sex weddings. I might also just add it as an aside, Masterpiece also turned away several other gay customers, including an order for cupcakes. So I, I do, I'm not so sure we can confidently say, oh, he would have sold them other items, but we'll leave that for another day. The second correction I'd like to, to make here is legally speaking. With all of Ilya's uh, impassioned oratory about free speech, you might have almost forgotten this is also a case about free exercise. This is a case about religion, and you did allude, you know, most people understand this to be a case about religion. That's how it started out. Even though the legal theory has been uh, retooled to focus on artistry, the perspective that we've uh, now been sort of compelled to think about is compelled speech. But let's be honest. For most Americans, this is about religion. This is about religious exemptions. At best, this is a hybrid claim that fuses re uh, religion and compelled speech. And by Mr. Phillips's own account, those two claims are two sides of the same coin. He says this in his brief that he, his religious significance, uh, he, because of the religious significance of marriage, he would require, he would consider it sacrilegious to express, quote, through his art, an idea about marriage that conflicts with his beliefs. And the religious context is very important because it changes the significance for customer and shop owner alike. It's bound up in a belief system, in, in uh, judgments about moral disapproval. This is not just some abstract artist's quarrel. You want cubism, I only sell impressionism. Let's call the whole thing off. So if we acknowledge that there's a strong religious component here, let's back up for just a moment and talk about that and re-examine the familiar story we're facing. We have three customers who walk into a small business that sells specialty foods. The owner is said to be an artist uh, for his unique culinary skills. He believes his religious convictions imbue all aspects of his work. The owner turns the customers away or uh, entirely, or he did not, denies them access to the full range of products because his religious beliefs forbid it. And in court, the owner claims the First Amendment should abrogate public accommodations laws and immunize his refusal to provide service. I could be describing what happened in 2012 to Mr. Craig and Mr. Mullins and, their, and his mother, Ms. Munn. But what I'm actually describing is what happened in 1964 to three African-American customers at a barbecue restaurant in South Carolina. That led to the Supreme Court's seminal decision on race discrimination and public accommodations, Newman versus 
Piggy Park, which Ilya alluded to earlier. It is deja vu all over again. At that restaurant, Piggy Park, who was owned by a man named Maurice Bessinger, he was deeply religious. He believed serving black customers or contributing to racial intermixing in any way, quote, contravened the will of God. And when a black Baptist minister sought to enter the restaurant, Mr. Bessinger stood in the doorway to block him. On another occasion, when two other African-Americans tried to patronize Piggy Park, Mr. Bessinger refused them access to a drive-in, uh, and he would only allow them to purchase food if they uh, refused to consume it on the premises. He would sell them some products, but not others. And the customers sued, alleging that uh, Mr. Bessinger had violated Title II of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, uh, which is very similar to, I think we would all agree, to the Colorado law at issue here. When the case reached the Supreme Court, it unanimously affirmed the holding that Mr. Bessinger's conduct violated Title II. As the district court had explained, quote, free exercise of one's beliefs, as distinguished from the absolute right to a belief, is subject to regulation when religious acts require accommodation to society. In a straightforward decision just 11 days after hearing oral argument, the Supreme Court stressed, quote, this is not even a borderline case. And it flatly rejected the owner's defenses that the Civil Rights Act was invalid because it, quote, contravenes the will of God. And so Piggy Park shows us that we have been here before. It controls the outcome of Masterpiece. And stepping back even further, I think it's an important reminder that the crossroads of religious liberty and civil rights, the two strands of this case that are intersecting here, are historically complex and often contested, where you have both the defenders and the opponents of equality or of certain movements invoking theological principles. On the one hand, during the civil rights movement, religious leaders from numerous faiths were at the forefront of this nation's march towards equality. Catholic clergy actively supported the passage of the Civil Rights Act. Uh, Rabbi Heschel locked arms with Dr. King at the head of the Selma procession. Archbishop O'Boyle delivered the invocation at the March on Washington. Dr. King obviously was a deeply religious man called to the ministry at the age of 19 or uh, named after Martin Luther and ordained at the Ebenezer Baptist Church. I could go on and on. But on the other hand, we also know the facts of history. And the facts are that theological arguments have been regularly offered to sustain blatant forms of discrimination. And while that might seem outlandish or even offensive to some today, the unfortunate truth is that those sorts of arguments were once quite common. And I can give you a few examples. Religious arguments were extensively used, as Ilya mentioned, to justify anti-miscegenation laws, bans on interracial marriage. In Loving versus Virginia, just as one of a half dozen examples, the trial judge sentenced the interracial couple by saying, quote, Almighty God created the races white, black, yellow, Malay, and red, and he placed them on separate continents. The fact that he separated the races shows he did not intend for the races to mix. Religious arguments were commonly used to justify uh, school segregation. Just one year after Brown versus Board of Education, justices of the Florida Supreme Court criticized school integration, asserting, quote, when God created man, he allotted each race to his own continent. We are now advised that God's plan was an error and must be reversed. Religion was used to justify discrimination in public accommodations in a challenge to segregated railroads. And the Pennsylvania Supreme Court held that segregation, quote, is not prejudice, not caste, nor injustice of any kind, but simply to suffer men to follow the law of the races established by the creator himself. Even the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which includes Title II on public accommodations, itself faced religion-based resistance. 
West Virginia Senator Byrd cited multiple biblical passages, including Levitical rules against the interbreeding of cattle and the sowing of mixed seed. Thankfully, by the middle of the 20th century, courts generally stopped accepting these sorts of religious motivations as acceptable rationales, namely in Piggy Park, which you've already heard about, Loving versus Virginia, which you, um, I imagine many of you know about, and Bob Jones University versus the United States. And I think when we view those cases in their proper historical context, Loving, for instance, constitutes a major repudiation of nearly a century of lower court decisions that had repeatedly drawn upon theology to ban interracial marriage. Just one year later, in Piggy Park, the Supreme Court again unanimously rejects theological justification for discrimination in public accommodation. 15 years after that, in Bob Jones, uh, the university sought a religious exemption from tax law that would have allowed it to maintain its policy of prohibiting uh, prospective or current students from engaging in interracial dating. And an 8-1 majority of the court held uh, that the school's religious justification could not overcome Congress's quote, firm national policy to prohibit racial segregation and discrimination in education. Even the lone dissenter, Chief Justice Rehnquist, uh, had expressed, quote, no disagreement with the finding that there's a strong national policy in this country opposed to racial discrimination. And so the overarching lesson of these cases uh, is that the Supreme Court has repeatedly and unambiguously rejected religion-based justifications for differential treatment. And this logic applies squarely to the context of LGBTQ discrimination today. No matter how uh, sincerely felt or perhaps well-intentioned, religious beliefs simply cannot justify differential treatment of LGBTQ individuals or couples in places of public accommodation. <clears throat> so now let's talk a little bit about speech because uh, the briefs uh, on either side don't really talk about Piggy Park. They don't want to talk about Piggy Park. Uh, they don't really try to cite it, uh, I think because it's, they're hard-pressed to distinguish it. But the central importance of Piggy Park is unaltered by the fact that petitioners in the United States now focus on this, this new speech theory. Uh, under that theory, however, Mr. Bessinger would have presumably succeeded if he had simply relabeled his claims. Instead of arguing that his religious beliefs forbade integration, he should have said he raised a, a compelled speech claim and argued that his religious beliefs meant uh, that he considered it sacrilegious to express through his art, those apparently were the missing magic words, uh, that, conflict, that integration conflicts with his religious beliefs. Oh, if Mr. Bessinger had only styled himself to be more Bernini than barbecue, he would have won the perils of the appellate bar. Uh, but it cannot be that Piggy Park would have reached the opposite conclusion if Mr. Bessinger had simply tacked on another theory of compelled speech. Nothing in the First Amendment suggests that identical discrimination motivated by the same underlying beliefs ex is exempt from public accommodations laws so long as it's framed as free speech rather than free exercise. Indeed, many religious acts involve uh, uh, public expressions of faith and communicative symbolism. Finally, I, I want to uh, lay out some of the ways that I think Ilya's position, aside from being wrong on the law, uh, where, that his position, the exception, would swallow the rule. And the Solicitor General's brief, which is problematic for several reasons that I hope we can get into, proposes the, the sort of operative limiting principle here. They say that there should be a religious exemption for, quote, artistic or, quote, custom products. Uh, but that would effectively eviscerate public accommodations law as we know it. First, let's just apply it to the case of Piggy Park. 
It's important to remember that Mr. Bessinger himself was later described as, quote, an artist. Barbecue is commonly understood to be a form of art by federal entities, by historians, by culinary organizations. Uh, moreover, his restaurant to this day continues to offer, quote, custom wedding catering. Uh, you can go online right now and see his customizable packages for weddings, church events, rehearsal dinners. Uh, and so under this Solicitor General's position, uh, and, and I presume Ilya's position as well, Piggy Park would be exempt. Second, even under this sort of faux modest limiting principle, I think the implications here would really be quite drastic, perhaps more than we all appreciated at the beginning of this case. It would certainly not be limited to wedding cakes. Petitioners Amiki already suggest that it would apply to photographers, videographers, florists, website designers, DJs. Uh, Cato itself in its brief talks about how there are you know, 6,000 retail bakeries, 600,000 uh, 600, uh, people employed there. Uh, the size of the wedding industry includes 1.2 million Americans and 315,000 businesses writ large. Uh, there's an amicus brief on behalf of 479 professionals, all claiming, uh, envisioning themselves as exempt under this new theory of the day, including a seamstress, a, state li a stage lighting designer, event planners, a knitter, and a paper crafter. It's quite broad. Ilya goes even further. And his brief talks about how the legal issues here, quote, can apply to anyone who is in the business of selling products of their intellectual or artistic expression. That's on page 12. That's a quantum leap in terms of the sorts of exemptions uh, that the law currently envisions. And it would usher in, surely usher in scores of First Amendment challenges. The net result here would be to embroil the judiciary into adjudicating a flurry of difficult, if not illusory, questions at the intersection of expression and artistry and religion. Let me give you just a few examples, because you, you gave some, some lively examples as well. Uh, is a custom-made barbecue menu for a wedding any more or less artistic than a wedding cake? Who's to judge? Uh, does it depend on the scriptural connections to the type of food that is served? For example, cooked meats, uh, Matthew 22-1, uh, refers to serving cooked meats at the wedding feast. Is a graphic is the designer, excuse me, of a wedding dress expressively or religiously different or the same as a tailor-made garter belt? Uh, and would these same exceptions apply to other types of expressive events, funerals, anniversaries, or birthday parties? The net effect of all of this would be to seriously hobble anti-discrimination efforts uh, across the board. This was the same threat that the court in Piggy Park stared down and ultimately contained. Um, I want to say also a word about uh, Ilya's final point, which is that the government doesn't need to do this because there are alternatives. That misconceives of the entire purpose of public accommodations law. The purpose was not that to provide some, there was already an alternative to the white restroom. It was the black restroom down the hall. At Piggy Park, there was already an alternative to getting the food in the restaurant. You can go around back. Go around back, you could still get the food, but you couldn't eat it in the restaurant. So this isn't about some alternative market for, uh, for people who are being discriminated against. It's about the ability to navigate the economy and American society as a full and equal and dignified member of this country. And as our director counsel often reminds me, it's only been in the last 60 years that African Americans in this country have been able to enjoy the full dignity and full economic participation in this country as a result 
of public accommodations law, primarily federal public accommodations law. So I think it would blink at reality also to suggest, you know, here we are, a, a block from K Street. It's rather cosmopolitan to say, oh, just go down the street to the other bakery. That's just simply not possible in many parts of the country. In parts of the country where our clients live, there, there may be no other bakery. There may be no other wedding venue that will serve gay people. And so the practical result will be uh, that you cannot get married, that you cannot get a cake, uh, that you are essentially shut out, even though that is not what the spirit of public accommodations law required or its sole purpose. But that is the, that is the real world effect, I believe, of this argument. And so, Ilya, I want to leave you with this basic question, because I'm not sure I heard a firm answer. Was Piggy Park rightly decided? Or can a baker today refuse to serve an interracial wedding because of their religion? Thank you. Ilya, you have five minutes. Five, okay. Piggy Park was rightly decided, but it's irrelevant to this case, and that's why you don't see it discussed uh, in the amicus briefs. Um, and most, not all, but most of the religious uh, liberty doctrine that JP enumerated is also irrelevant to the current question, because this is not a straightforward attack saying, I have a religious objection, therefore uh, I, I, I want that exemption judicially. That was decided by Employment Division versus Smith. Um, and uh, as I described, the, the religious exercise claim here is much different. It's based on if the Colorado Civil Rights Commission had indeed um, uh, applied uh, its, uh, what I consider to be overly, uh, both overly broad and under-inclusive uh, uh, Anti-Discrimination Act, uh, evenly, then there would be no viable free exercise claim here. Um, for that matter, it doesn't matter why Mr. Phillips doesn't want to provide the cake. I would be here for, you know, uh, Mr. Uh, you know, Jack Phillips. I would be here for Philip Jackson, the, the uh, radical atheist uh, who has other kinds of objections to same-sex marriage. It really, uh, that, that is, is, doesn't matter, other than that it provides that hybrid rights claim, as JP said. Hybrid rights means legalese for we don't know exactly which doctrine to apply, but you have another bite at the apple, another type of claim to present uh, to the court. So uh, again, this is not about that, you know, relitigating the, the 60s era uh, free exercise cases, except now substitute uh, blacks for gays. That's an easy case, and that's not what's going on here. Fundamentally, there's a difference between denying surface, uh, service to certain kinds of people and declining to convey a particular message. Uh, I don't even know why you'd want to have as a wedding vendor someone who can't in good faith literally support your union. If progressives respect diversity, then shouldn't they refrain from bending the will of fellow Americans toward prevailing pieties? And this goes beyond uh, gay weddings. Through an ever-growing list of mandates and regulations, government compulsion squeezes out civil society and foments uh, these types of social classes. Uh, look at the battle over the Little Sisters of the Poor, where even after the Supreme Court told the government to compromise, certain states continue to want to force the nuns to subvert their beliefs. The most basic principle of a free society is that government can't willy-nilly force us to do things that violate our beliefs. Some may argue that in these wedding cases, there's a conflict between the freedom of speech or religion uh, and gay rights, and marriage equality is more important. But that's a false choice, as President Obama uh, would say. 
There is no clash of individual rights in any circumstance other than when the government itself declines to consistently recognize and protect everyone's rights. And so county clerks act on the state's behalf and so must issue marriage licenses regardless of their beliefs, but bakers are not government agents and so should maintain the freedom of conscience. Ultimately, again, this is, a, this is primarily a case uh, about, uh, about compelled speech. As Justice Jackson observed in Barnett, Freedom to differ is not limited to things that do not matter much. That would be a mere shadow of freedom. The test of its substance is the right to differ as to things that touch the heart of the existing order. It's equally fundamental that the government has no authority to force individuals to engage in expressive acts, even for a benign purpose. Well done. So I'll just offer uh, two closing thoughts. Uh, one, you know, Ilya, you've said in a couple different ways now that the risk here is that uh, the government is forcing Mr. Phillips to do something. And I just don't think that's, I don't think that's right. And you quote, you know, Soviet dissident quite eloquently in your brief. No one is threatening to send Mr. Phillips to a Siberian gulag. Uh, no one is, no one. The injunction mandates re-education, re literally. No. The injunction mandates three things. The injunction says if you're going to sell wedding cakes at all, you have to sell them to people on a non-discriminatory basis. Two, the injunction says you need to re-familiarize yourself with Colorado law because you're not obeying it. And three, if you still refuse to turn away certain customers, then you need to document that and give us uh, an explanation on a quarterly basis. So I think it's a little overheated to suggest that someone is uh, forcing uh, Mr. Phillips to, to say certain words or, or uh, forcing him to engage in some sort of involuntary labor. Um, but just as a final thought, you know, I think we're going to get into hypotheticals later on, and, and we could argue about that all day. I, I have thoughts about how to draw lines. I'm not sure I'll win everyone over here in the audience. Um, so instead, I just want to leave you with a broader point, uh, which is I, I hope that I've at least uh, convinced you that there is some relevance to cases like Piggy Park that we have to reckon with. The law and the facts here are just too similar to ignore, even if uh, it's inconvenient or some of the parties' briefs ignore it. And I don't say that just, uh, just to be uh, provocative. I say it also to be promising, because I think at the end of the day, cases like Piggy Park are a story of progress that should guide this court once again about how rulings about religion and expression and anti-discrimination are received and applied. And by that, I mean this. The court's 1968 ruling in Piggy Park, it didn't induce some major backlash uh, or give rise to a new wave of religious disputes in the courts or in public life. It didn't impede religious institutions in their important and constitutionally protected activities. It didn't impinge upon the commercial success of uh, culinary artists or of barbecue specialists or other caterers. Rather, people, for the most part, embrace the wisdom of, this court's, of the court's unanimous ruling. And Piggy Park itself continues to operate a vibrant chain of stores. Uh, and the current owner, Mr. Bessinger's son, speaks openly about rising above his father's legacy on race. So progress is possible. And I think that's instructive for us today in the context of LGBTQ protections, the courts and the country and the commercial sector are entirely capable of operating under generally applicable neutral rules while also ensuring due respect to the personal religious views of individuals. 
Anti-discrimination laws, public accommodation laws in particular, bolstered by the Supreme Court's rulings, have undergirded the extraordinary advancements that this country can make. But those sorts of advancements are not inevitable. And so the Supreme Court here too should preserve the critical protections of public accommodations law, which shield us all, while also guarding individual religious liberty. Thank you. Well, thank you both. Um, I'm going to pose a couple of questions. Uh, I have not run these by either of our speakers, including Ilya. Uh, and um, I've drawn them from recent commentary um, last week uh, on this case. Uh, Ilya, in the Washington Post column last week, George Will uh, wrote that Jack Phillips uh, was neither asked nor required to attend let alone participate in the wedding. So his creation of the cake before the ceremony would not have constituted participation in any meaningful sense. Of course, participation is one of the uh, grounds on which the religious liberty folks are suggesting they um, should be excused. Um, and on the creative uh, issue, uh, Will added that a cake can be a medium for creativity, hence, in some not too expansive sense, it can be food for thought. However, it certainly and primarily is food, and the creator's involvement with it ends when he sends it away to those who consume it. Phillips ought to lose this case, George Will said, but Craig and Mullins, who sought his punishment, have behaved abominably because they could easily have gone elsewhere for their cake rather than bring the force of the state down upon Phillips. How do you uh, respond to George Will? Sure. Um, well, on, on the expressive cake bit, um, it would be news to my wife that a cake is primarily about, uh, the wedding cake is primarily about food, and gee, I guess we overpaid because we sure could have gotten those, uh, that equivalent in calories for a lot less and a lot little to do, although I did enjoy the, uh, the tasting that we had before uh, our wedding. Uh, I mean, look, a, a wedding cake is a unique product. It's, it's, it's a food sculpture, if you will. Um, it's, it's no different, uh, you know, Mr. Phillips' expressive rights are no different in that, that he works in uh, uh, you know, uh, icing and buttermilk than, uh, and buttercream than, than uh, ink or, or, or paint or, or, or what have you. And so, I mean, it's, it, a cake is not simply there because you're expected to provide dessert uh, or because people will still be hungry after you've served them your uh, the, the filet or the salmon or whatever you have at your at your wedding. It's there as a very important symbolic um, uh, uh, totem uh, and plays a role in the ceremony when the bride and groom traditionally slice it together and then mash it in their face. All that is, is symbolic of their their first meal together. And so uh, you know it's a lot more fraught than simply providing a cake for. Uh, you know, just for 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 dinner. Uh, as for participation, uh, I mean, you know, I'm not going to get into theological debates with 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 anyone, and I don't think uh, George Will was uh, either about what constitutes being part of the chain of sin, if you will, uh, religiously speaking. But this is part of the reason why I think the the free exercise claim is stronger uh, than the religious exercise, at least under the law, not under kind of first principles. Uh, and so that's why I back uh, always on. Uh, um, participation being the creation of the cake. You're, it's kind of a Lockean sense. You're, you're, you're mixing your 
your creative energies, your expression, uh, that secret ingredient called love, right, uh, into the, um, the masterpiece that, that you're creating for that uh, special symbolic occasion. All right, uh, JP, um, in a National Review Online column uh, this week, last week, David French wrote that Jack Phillips isn't discriminating on the basis of sexual orientation, one of the uh, uh, recognized classes. Uh, if a black baker refuses a white customer's request to design a Confederate flag cake, he's not discriminating on the basis of race, he's refusing to advance a message. French adds that Craig and Mullins eventually decided on a rainbow cake, which clearly and unmistakably sent a specific message. Sexual revolutionaries, French continues, are asking the court to overturn generations of constitutional precedent to allow the state to compel American citizens to advance ideas they find reprehensible. They believe that the cost of entering the marketplace is not just the loss of your distinct artistic voice, but the commandeering of that voice by your ideological foes to advance their ideological interests. How do you answer French? So uh, first of all, let me say, if Ilya, if you're making cakes with mixing in the secret ingredient of love, I would love to have your cakes anytime. They sound great. <laughs> uh, and you are welcome in our household to have uh, any, any sort of cake anytime. I'm uh, actually better at the barbecue, so. Oh, well, okay, good, <laughs> good. Uh, actually better at the bar. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, artisanal cocktails, anyone? Anyway. Artisanal cocktails, which would also presumably be covered by this ruling. Um, I, think, I think that just, again, ignores the basic facts of this case. They didn't even get into a... Con Mr. Phillips and his, uh, the gay couple here didn't even get into a conversation about what the design would be. The rainbow cape happened afterwards. It was donated. But, but wasn't that because as soon as he said he wasn't prepared to do that, they walked out? Exactly. Well, the, therefore, the shortage of the, the, the truncating of the conversation was not due to are you, Mr. Are you Phillips. calling for a remand for fact-finding or something? <laughs> I mean, I think what that tells you is, he, is uh, uh, he didn't need to know any more about them. He knew it was two gay men, and, and I, in terms of them- Celebrating a wedding. Right, and I think in terms of, does that raise an inference that it was because of, in the laws, in the words of the statute, because of their sexual orientation? Sure, I think it does. Uh, and if there are other uh, situations where someone is discriminating you know, because of someone's religion or because of their uh, gender, and that raises an inference, uh, then sure. I think then we should also take a look at those cases. Well, I, the point, it seems to me, is that he wasn't discriminating on the basis of their sexual orientation insofar as he was prepared to serve them any of his goods off the shelf. So that wasn't the issue. It was that extra step. Well, I think, you know, Maurice Bessinger was also perfectly prepared to offer other products to the African-American plaintiffs there. He would offer them food around back. They could take it to go. Uh, I just, I think that's a distinction without a difference. I think it's, it's... But what about the message component? Let's say they yeah. had had a longer conversation and they said, we want, uh, you know, the, the inside to look like a rainbow and the outside we wanted to say, um, you know, congrats in their names right. on your wedding. So... I think the, the rule of thumb here should be that if you would sell that same cake to a straight couple, you have to sell that same cake. But, but, but what if you would not sell a rainbow cake to a straight couple? 
well, then he wouldn't, probably wouldn't have to sell a rainbow cake to a gay couple either. If he just says, listen, I'll make, I, I'm, I'm not in the market of making rainbow cakes, period. Um, what if yeah. he would sell it for a kid's birthday party but not for a marriage, straight or gay? Um, I mean, we're getting a little bit, we're splitting hairs about which market, you know, how... We're drawing laws all the, uh, draw right. lines so, all the time. But the point I'm saying is, yeah. apparently you do accept that a line can be drawn to protect some uh, uh, expressive uh, activity. Yes, and I think I think it, there is a range of. So then it's like conduct. it's like me and Eugene Volokh having this discussion. Eugene Volokh, UCLA law professor, big First Amendment guy, libertarian, has f- filed with me in the New Mexico photography case, the Kentucky uh, T-shirt case, which is now ongoing to the Kentucky Supreme Court. But is on the other side of this case, not you know he ag- still agrees with our doctrinal line that expressive activity has First Amendment protection, but he thinks that bakery, the, the artisanal baking, is not sufficiently artistic. So you agree with him? I I think. Not entirely, but I think Eugene Volek makes a number of good points in his briefs. Uh, also with regard to the participation point that you just asked about previously, he says uh, quite pithily, uh, Mr. Phillips is not the cake. He's not himself the cake. He's not at the wedding ceremony. He's not at the venue. He's not there. He's not participating. And so uh, I think there is a distinction if we're going to start drawing lines. And I may have different ideas than Eugene Volokh or than you might have about precisely how to draw these lines. Different types of expression. There's a range of different hypotheticals we can imagine. But I think the, the bottom line is this. Your theory, at Ilya, although I realize it, it, you know, it comes from uh, uh, you know, libertarian first principles, I think would open up a very wide range of uh, challenges, First Amendment challenges, to all sorts of different conduct and businesses, not just wedding vendors. And do you really want courts in the business of adjudicating what's religious, what's not, what's artistic, what's not? Is this more expressive? Is this less? I mean, you'd have to admit they, this they is going to lead to a lot lines, of litigation. That's what they get paid for. You said that there were 600,000 wedding businesses. I've seen three cert petitions thus far. I don't know how many more we're getting, but it's not a huge number. Oh, I disagree. I think you're going to, if, if, the signaling implications of this case are already written on the wall. And if this court reverses, the Supreme Court reverses Colorado, we'll see copycat lawsuits in the, in the I mean, you already invite this in your brief, in the context of videography and DJs and would, would you Would you really make a wedding singer uh, sing and emote and express themselves at a ceremony? Forget if it's a wedding, but some ceremony that they disagree with? I think the wedding singer is certainly more expressive on the scale of things. And again, we could talk about the line. Videographer, is there no artistic value? In, oh, by I mean, the way, that occurs to me. How are you going to police this? Uh, that singer may sing off key if he's being forced to participate. <laughs> right. The baker may bake a, a cake that falls, and uh, so on. Breach of uh, contract, impossibility. The, the, the law has always looked askance at specific performance. Right. I have an easy way to police this. Keep the law as it currently stands. You don't have, and you don't affirm the judgment of the Colorado Supreme Court, and you don't have to police a million different scenarios. Well, no, no, no. Well, what no, what no, Roger no. is saying is that then you would have to police. You're going to be forcing the wedding singer, yeah. but then there's a complaint that he's really not fully right. emotional because he doesn't agree with. And these, therefore, he's being the court is going to have to make a judgment so on the quality of the court per- claim or breach of contract claim against no, him on the quality of the performance, and that's then a separate suit. This is a full employment scheme for lawyers, that's for sure. <laughs> but uh, I can see that coming down the road. Arrange, we, can, we can discuss our, our, our future partnership. Uh, after the <laughs> okay. All right, look, let's turn, uh, turn it over to you folks in the audience. A uh, couple of uh, points here. Please wait till uh, you're called on. Uh, 
wait for the microphone so everyone in the room can, and our audience watching online and on C-SPAN can hear the question and give us your name and any affiliation you may have. And I'm gonna go from both sides of the room. So as one person is speaking, please raise your hands on the other side so that I can send the microphone up there so we can get as many questions in as possible. Let's start with this gentleman right here in the second row in the center. All right, anybody up here, please? My name's Roger Trigg, I'm from the University of Oxford. I don't know if you're aware, but there's a very similar case about to go to the United Kingdom Supreme Court, Ashes Bakery, uh, which is based in Northern Ireland. Uh, now, gay marriage is still illegal, a very fraught issue in Northern Ireland, but what the Ashes Bakery was refusing to do was to bake a cake with the slogan on it saying, support gay marriage. And they said that they were quite willing to serve gay customers. In fact, the customers that they refused to serve were regular customers. They would have refused to make that cake for a heterosexual couple or whoever. Uh, but they were not prepared to convey that message. And yet they've been caught so far all the way up the legal system uh, on anti-discrimination legislation. So uh, it's discrimination against gays, but they're saying, no, it's what we're required to support. And indeed, they're being forced to support one side of a very difficult political debate in Northern Ireland. That, uh, that sounds like a question for you, Ajay, so, because it poses squarely the issue that we've raised right at the end. Right, so I... Uh, the, the easy answer would be that's not this case, but <laughs> I'm not going to leave you with that. No. Um, you know, I think that, that's an easier case for you, isn't it? To say to, to, to side with me. Uh, I th no marriage involved. Say one more. There's no marriage involved. No, it, as just as I understood, it's just a message. Support of, gay marriage, and they oh, didn't oh, want to say that in the cake that they. And we don't know. Them. I'm not as familiar with all the facts in that case, but we don't know if the underlying the customers are themselves. A gay couple getting married? No, no, no. He said it doesn't matter whether it's a, a gay couple or a straight couple. He uh, just wouldn't. Right. But they couldn't be getting married in Northern Ireland. I see, I see. Right. right. Because Justice Kennedy hasn't yet traveled to Belfast to make the ruling, so. Um, I think, to be sure, once there's writing on the cake, does it, does it become more uh, expressive? Does it raise slightly different sorts of issues? Yes. I, you know, I'm, I'm not... Prepared. I still think the government has a compelling interest in enforcing anti-discrimination laws across the board, and I still think small businesses can make a choice about whether they're going to enter into certain markets and sell uh, products to anyone uh, or sell those products to no one. Um, but again, that's, that is not what happened here. They didn't need to know what they wanted to put on the cake. All they needed to know was that these two gentlemen are gay. And so I actually think this case has broader presidential I can't believe you f you're fighting that hypothetical because that is just purely political speech. And you're saying that a, that a baker can't refuse to convey a message they don't agree with regardless of any sexual orientation or other protected class So issues? I think if he said, I wouldn't sell that cake to either a straight couple or a gay right. couple. Right, I don't want to put messages on that support, yeah. You could be closer to the line of saying, I'm not in the market of making these cases, these cakes in general. Um, but that is, you know, that's not what we have here. He wouldn't sell them any cake. And so I think this case, I think we would agree, has broader precedential effects than that because it's really any, any type of cake that he would refuse to make. He's just not going to sell this type of product to gay people at all. Okay. This gentleman right here on this side. Thank you. Uh, Ilya, 
Uh, you didn't fully respond to JP's point about alternatives. Sure, Denver has lots of bakeries, but what if you're in a town that's isolated and the closest bakery is 30 miles? I was thinking of another hypothetical. Let's say it was a small town with one professional photographer. Everyone gets their holiday pictures at that uh, photographer's place, but he won't reserve the one family that has a same-sex same sex parents. How would uh, you feel in a case about like that? Sure. Uh, well, the traditional public accommodation laws are meant to precisely deal with natural monopoly situations like that, meaning that you have no uh, alternatives. And uh, you know, the rule I propose is not an absolute one. Um, uh, just like uh, the traditional public accommodation laws uh, went after uh, travelers' inns, uh, very much like the Jim Crow era, if you couldn't stay at that place, you had no place to go or sup, and you know you were uh, had to go for miles and miles beyond to find the next place. And so similarly here, if there's really a situation where it's the only bakery that's uh, a reasonable alternative, uh, then uh, you know that that would apply differently. Um, I doubt the issue would arise, both in terms of uh, how many places are so isolated that you only have one of these types of establishments in a reasonable area, and yet would have uh, demand for uh, gay weddings. But I could see uh, uh, an exemption to the uh, requirement there. Uh, could be massaged in certain ways, but that's you know that's a hard case. That would be an, an exception to the general rule I'm proposing that you shouldn't be forced to convey messages uh, that you disagree with. You know, the old common law had ways to address that, and if it was a public utility or a monopoly, then they had to serve all comers at reasonable rates. But, uh, uh, and also for isolated inns and taverns, but where you had a competitive market, then they did not impose any duty to serve. The gentleman way in the back. Hi, my name is Liam. Um, basically, I'd like you to consider whether tolerance and affirmation are the same thing. I would suggest to you that we all have to tolerate everybody, but the minute we have to affirm something, we give up our beliefs. The second thing is, I think marriage is a privilege, not a right, because it involves more than one person. It's not endowed by God. It's a choice. So that's different from black people who God said amen to when they came into being. When you decide to get married, you're making a vow. That's a choice. That's different from being born one person or another. And finally, I'd like to ask why the Cato Institution is not taking up this case on the proper reducto rationale, which would be the impairment of contract. This is a case where the government is deciding that it can involve itself in the obligation of contract. Now, whether you're forced to make a contract or whether you're forced to uh, abrogate a contract, that is not the role of government in our society. Thanks. Uh, well, you go to court with the law you have. Uh, and sure, I could argue for different kind of uh, economic liberty grounds, and it would be a very different case if this were dealing with a non-expressive business like that caterer or the limo driver or the barbecue thing, unless you were building a, the barbecue guy was building a sculpture for you as your centerpiece if you're meat-centric or something like that. But in any event, the, the case presents squarely the free speech and somewhat the freedom of religion uh, aspects, and that's why... Uh, the focus is there. You know, we're, I'm a simple constitutional lawyer. We are not discussing, you know, the, the, the first principles philosophically of, of what the law should be. Well, I believe the question concerns freedom of association, does it not? Well, I decided to 
I, I can't, okay. I can't, so even, that, get, I can't even get that, Colorado and the other side to yeah, agree that you shouldn't be forced to convey a message, let alone yeah, uh, but that's, act. That's, a, that's, that's the, the next case. Yeah, that's the, for, the fundamental freedom of association case, which, yeah, sure, just no, we got to, we got to. If I could just add yeah. one thing, I mean, uh, there were a lot of challenges when the Civil Rights Act was first passed to the constitutionality of the act on commerce grounds, on freedom of association grounds. Uh, this is settled law. So if there are folks out there who want to relitigate the constitutionality of the Civil Rights Act writ large, uh, or, or whether freedom to, the freedom to marry is in fact a right, which is, goes back to Loving versus Virginia, uh, you're talking about throwing up in the air decades of constitutional, constitutional law, which, I, which, which is even more drastic than what I think is going on in this case. And we don't want to go there. I mean, it would be... It would well, have, although Justice O'Connor did say 25 years in uh, the uh, case of... Uh, Affirmative yeah, action, that which is a form of, of discrimination. That, he's raising. that yeah. like Piggy Park, has nothing yeah. to do with this case. All right, uh, right over here. <clears throat> Thank you. I'm Herman Bauma, Executive Director of the National Association for Objectivity and Science. I have a question, I guess it's for JP. Uh, what if two homosexuals went into the bakery and they request, they said, we're going to have a, a huge orgy next week. We're going to have 20 men at this orgy, and we'd like you to. Uh, prepare a cake for us to celebrate this orgy. Do you think the baker would be entitled to uh, refuse in that situation? Um, As opposed to what? Say, where is it? Notwithstanding that I think that hypothetical uh, bakes in certain assumptions about the sexual tendencies of LGBTQ Americans, if they said they were going to have an orgy, I mean, I suppose it could it could raise an inference that they were still being turned away because uh, because they were gay. Um, I mean, if he if he if he just said, "I don't make orgy cakes," whether it's for that's what he actually would say in this case. Well, if he just says, "I don't make orgy cakes for straight people or for gay people," that would probably be fine. Can I ask a point of clarification? Sure. The Colorado anti-discrimination law, yeah. does it focus on sexual orientation only? No, no, no. It also includes uh, race and gender and a variety. Oh, I mean, as far as homosexual goes, it doesn't focus on behavior. It focuses on sexual orientation. Is that correct? Well, I mean, I think sexual orientation necessarily include, necessarily means that you have a certain orientation and you can act on that. I don't think it... <laughs> it Someone just tweeted, must every Cato debate involve a huge orgy question? That's the, <laughs> the, winning, the winning tweet. Do we have anyone for heroin in uh, vending machines? Anyone uh, on is that? Is this a common thing? Is this a, could you give no, your heads up? No, we are libertarian. Apologies we're to not, C-SPAN. We're not libertine. We're libertarian. Okay, there's a, a question, right? Oh, there's a, this gentleman's had his hand up for a while, yes, and then we'll get I'm John Davis Muller for Washington Lawyers for the Arts. Sif. If a family member of the couple or one of them had come into the shop or telephoned and said, I'd like an identical cake to the one in this display case and didn't tell them any more about how it was going to be used, what would, what would you think about that? Would they have to, could they ask? Could they learn more? Um, so if it's just that there's a cake in the display case or a, a one from a catalog or something and say, I want one of those. Uh, if they told him that it was for a... 
uh, same-sex ceremony. Uh, and by the way, regardless of whether same-sex marriage is, is legal or not, I don't think this is the question of, uh, you, know, I, you know, to turn earlier point, I don't think the government should be involved in marriage in the first place. So it could just be a, a ceremony, whether it's state-recognized or not. Um, but if, if, if the question was, can you make this cake for my same-sex wedding, I think he'd be entitled to say no. You didn't say anything? Then, then I don't know why he would uh, oppose that. Then, if he did, uh, I don't know why he would he would oppose that, unless he had some knowledge. But if he had no knowledge, then uh, then no. Then you know. Then we go back to why you know why would the refusal come? I'm not a lawyer, and this will probably show in the naivety of this question. But it seems to me that the issue is whether or not he's being forced to earn money in a way that doesn't discriminate between people. Well, the Supreme Court has held that you don't lose your First Amendment rights when there's a dollar sign attached to uh, to what you do, uh, whether that's nude dancing or you know uh, commercial speech of other kinds. Uh, um, so I don't I don't think that's going to ultimately play a role in this. Up there in the back. Hi, uh, Riley. Well, Riley Stevens, Cato Institute. Um, so I think the, since you were, we had some agreement actually about messages, if the cake is a message cake. What if it's not a message cake? So I guess, or I mean, we're just playing the game of hypos at this point, but uh, so what if instead of a Confederate flag cake, it's not decorated with anything, but it's for the, any, the Aryan Nation's annual convention and it's a black baker? And, and, and the baker knows that the, that the person requesting it is going to use it. So uh, being a member, so with the exception of a handful of jurisdictions. I think you're confusing your white supremacist groups. The Aryan nation don't have robes. That's the KKK. Um, being a member of the Aryan nation is not a protected class under this statute. So I couldn't quite hear it. I think he's positing that we're in a jurisdiction where oh. ideology is a protected class. Um, which I think is like three jurisdictions in the country. Um, we'd have to look at whether the Aryan Nation is a political party as opposed to just then organizations expressing ideas about white supremacy. But my general answer to you is in Colorado and under federal law, being a member of the Aryan Nation is not a protected status. It's not covered by the statute. Up here. Hello, my name is Ethan, and I just have a quick question pertaining to the question that was asked before about if um, two men walked into the shop and asked for a cake, but it wasn't clear whether it was for a wedding. If the baker asked, would he be, would the couple be required to disclose that it was a gay wedding? If the couple was asked, would they? Um, I don't think not, so. Right? I mean, here this is why you know we I, I wouldn't want. Um, course to even be inquiring about this in the first place. If the, if the baker doesn't want to convey a, a given message, then he should be able to say, I don't want to convey that message, period. Um, I mean, the, you know, you could have some sort of tricky situation where he doesn't know what it's for, but then he finds out halfway through making the cake and then, you know, stops production. At, at that point, it becomes kind of a, a breach of contract sort of uh, hypothetical, and he has to make good and, you know, have someone else finish. I mean, it's a it's a weird situation, but again, it's 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 a it's a hard uh, it's a hard case, and typically he would know at least the way that most custom bakers, from what I've learned from the briefs, operate. You find out a lot about the couple and what sorts of things they're interested in, and um, you know what kind of personalization you want. Do you want any words? No words? You know all all that sort of thing. So um, it's it's just not the run of mill case for 
this type of baker to encounter uh, that kind of situation. It's, yeah. it's, my, my quick response to you is, why would, why would they need to know? Yeah. Why would they need to know, right? The, the, the model that public accommodation laws envisions is you sell goods and you services, you walk into the shop, you buy the cake, you walk out. There isn't some long interrogation about like, well, what race are you? Well, no, are you no, using this for an interracial... Of what design elements you want in something, not just a cake, but lots of different types of in products. In fact, the old common law had a way of dealing with these kinds of cases. It was called an invitation to treat. Roger knows, because he was around during That's the right. Uh, an invitation to treat means that you walk into the emporium and you, uh, since a business holds itself as out as open to the public, uh, then uh, he is held, the businessman is held to that representation. You can enter into his emporium and at that point you start negotiating about the terms of service. And if you can reach an agreement, then you do so. And if you can't, the customer would-be customer leaves. That's called the invitation to treat. Okay, right here, please. And then. Yeah, I'm Amanda Dean Ahmed with the Minaret of Freedom Institute. Um, to Mr. schnapper Casteris, I um, think that you have under-addressed the issues of design and, and custom uh, that are in integral to, I think, what is Ilya's uh, arguments. And in particular, I would say by analogy, uh, as, a, as a Muslim, if I were a baker, which I'm not, and someone came in and said, I want you to design a cake for a Hindu holiday that'll celebrate the joys of, of, of uh, polytheism, I would not have to discuss the details. I would say, you know, I'm, I'm not the one to do that. I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. It's against my religion. And while I'm not a baker, I am a wordsmith. And so if someone also came up to me and said, I'd like you to write an article for my blog about you know, the beauties of polytheism. I don't need to discuss it further to say, no, thank you. So let's, uh, if we might start, we'll start with the baker, the baking hypo, and then we'll go to the writing. Um, you know, I think you've actually put your finger, I think what you described actually right now would not be legal under current law. Because that would, if you're turning someone away because of their religion, uh, then that's, then that's violates, uh, public accommodation law because of religion. And I think for good reason. I mean, I'm not sure we want to countenance a whole range of claims of, you know, well, I'm, I don't believe in interfaith marriages. Uh, I, I don't believe in a certain, you know, version of Christianity that you might. I mean, that just gets us. I'm happy to countenance such claims. Well, then you're countenancing a, a, a lot of new lawsuits because and sectarian of, because tension. Because of the message. I'm not saying that a Catholic can't refuse to serve uh, can refuse to serve a Baptist, but a Catholic can refuse to make a wedding cake for a Baptist wedding because he believes that's a perversion of theology or interfaith or a Catholic who doesn't want to uh, get a, a second, a remarriage. Again, because, not because of the religious objection to it, but because of the conveyance of the message celebrating the wedding. The, the, the Catholic could not, in my view, under this the doctrine I'm pushing, uh, uh, refuse to serve a interfaith couple or a, divorce, a remarried couple or anything, or a Baptist, uh, but uh, the wedding cake is a, conveys a message of celebration of the marriage and on that basis could refuse. I go 
back to the old point. The old common law dealt with this very nicely. It left it to the parties to reach a deal if they could. If they couldn't, then they go their separate ways. Yep. And now Lord Roger, get the Roger. lawyers decided. Lord Blackstone now, accepted that, means, that argument when you made what it. What that means is that you're going to get some discrimination for sure, if and I might. invidious discrimination. But you live with a little bit of it because if you're in a decent society and we're we're well down the road from uh, Brown, from uh, Plessy v. Ferguson. We're a long way from that. Um, to be sure, there still is racism, there's sexism, there is um, anti, um, and there's homophobia, but far less than there used to be. Could I just and, say, and if you leave these to the parties, then it works, it, it's, yes. Roger, you, I just, you, I don't You mean condemn to... those people, you condemn the piggy, whatever it is there, uh, as a private matter, and uh, go get your, so I don't, I don't barbecue mean to, somewhere else. I don't mean to quarrel with moderator's prerogative, but since you brought it up on several occasions, we, we're not operating under the common law here. That's the problem. We have a statute. Exactly the problem. Well, well, okay, but we passed the Civil Rights, of 19, Civil Rights Act of 1964, thank goodness. We passed the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act, thank goodness. Okay, so we're dealing with like actual laws and statutes that we have to grapple with, and they include words. And if we're going to be textualist about this, let's look at the words. The words say because of sexual orientation or because of religion. And so we have to, you know, I think it's a distinction without a difference to say, well, I'm not making the cake for you, not because you're Catholic, but because of your Catholic beliefs. What? No, does that, no, does that really no, make no, 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 sense? No, no. I don't, no. And do we want, let me just step back. As a normative matter, do we want that? Do we want it? I think this is actually the real unspoken risk of this case. It's not just LGBTQ discrimination. It's all sorts of interfaith uh, I don't serve Mormons, or I don't think Baptists, or I Baptists, or I think you know your interpretation of Christianity is wrong. Do we want? Yes, and I'll tell you why. Because we want, because we want a thousand to flowers Roger, to bloom. Roger, you know, you know, I can. Do you, do you want to sit here? No, please, please no. go ahead. No, I mean, do, do you see the point? You get, you get, you, with the great variety of values that people have. They sort themselves Bring up out. Parky becomes a ham. They, they, they sort themselves out in their own little platoon. Roger, here's the problem: it didn't sort itself out in the Jim Crow South. That's right. I wish it had. And, and that's I wish why, it had. And that's you know why what? It took federal law. Right. It took and, federal law to come in and stop the problem. And rightly so. But then, then Justice O'Connor says. We hope we don't have to do this 25 no, that, well, Roger, years down come on. The road. That was a case about affirmative action. We're talking about a, a statute, a real hard physical statute. Words on the page, I can show you it right here, Trying right, to... that were codified in federal law. And this is, the, this is the core of civil rights. This is the core of the civil rights canon. So we can have our debates, and Ilya and I have about affirmative action, but this is not affirmative action. This, this is the is way we debate it, Cato. Isn't it fun? Oh. <laughs> All right, this um, uh, uh, Hi, woman has Pat, been waiting. I'm from Silver Springs. Uh, I think what uh, basically what I'm hearing right now is that this is a, a separation of church and state. Uh, you're entitled to feel and have your opinions as a human being, uh, but you are not entitled to take those feelings and beliefs and force someone else into a corner. Uh, we are growing as a nation and as a uh, community, the earth, uh, that people are beginning to accept one another for our differences. And those differences 
are what makes this nation and this world strong. It uh, solves problems with disease, poverty, hate. So uh, I'm a little annoyed that something so uh, minuscule would take so much effort and time uh, as a cake uh, when people are being murdered or not getting uh, medicine that they need. So it's just I'm, I'm looking at it in a, a different context. But this is, to me, a separation of religion and state, and the state shouldn't be involved in the religion. And if you are going to pick and choose who you want to sell something to, you would not have a business on Main Street America. That's, a, that's exactly right. And, and that's why um, it, you don't have to have this kind of compulsion uh, against people who are not imposing their religion on anyone. They're just practicing their own. Uh, but more broadly, as I said, the, the expressive connotation of, of what they're doing is uh, what's most important here. Look, uh, there's simply not going to be uh, there, because there isn't uh, people asserting these sorts of claims, uh, trying to get exemptions. It's a whole lot of bother. It's a whole lot of hassle. Uh, they, you generally lose business. Uh, it's only the most sincere, the most devoted, the most the people who think that this is just um, you know, part of their core principle that they that they don't want to convey this message. Uh, the, the the brief by the law and econ scholars of all people uh, talk about how. Um, uh, what, what, what that all means. Um, but this is not you know, the state uh, imposing a religion on anyone or, or a religion imposing itself on the state. Quite to the contrary. It's a private, we're dealing with a world of private actors, and thank God we're not dealing with the world of Jim Crow where the only way to break the social monopoly of hate and racism and state-supported segregation is by having a, a federal law that uh, inverts the normal operation of the common law allowing the freedom of association. So I'll just, just add quickly, I... I hear what you're saying, um, and it's it's an important question. I, I would just add, you know, I, Mr. Phillips has an, a number of other ways to express his opinions on this, right? He can write an op-ed, he can go to church, he can protest, he can uh, uh, wear a shirt with his views, you know, uh, there are any number of things. Uh, no one's saying he can't do that. No one's saying that he is not fully entitled to his own particular religious beliefs about same-sex marriage or anything else for that matter. All we're saying is when you enter the stream of commerce. When you decide to sell a product to one person, you have to sell the same product to another. Um, and so I, but we're not, no one's talking about forcing anyone to, to believe something else beyond that. Hi, I'm Mary Overton. I'm a freshman at George Washington University. Um, so wouldn't the free exercise clause under the First Amendment supersede the Colorado civil rights uh, law? And wouldn't that technically make it unconstitutional to force the bakery to make the cake. Wouldn't the free exercise... You want to explain it? Um, well, in, as, I, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, uh, the, in 1990, the case of Employment Division versus Smith, uh, written by that uh, radical, uh, heretical, uh, transhumanist, secularist Antonin Scalia, um, <laughs> reversed uh, what was an anomaly, about a 30-year anomaly in the jurisprudence, uh, where for, for that amount of time, uh, which encompassed actually the, the, the 60s civil rights cases, uh, courts would re read in religious exemptions from generally applicable laws. But um, Employment Division uh, said that, no, if a generally applicable law, whether it be anti-discrimination, whether it be a prohibition on drugs, as was the case in Smith, a whole host of things, a generally applicable law that doesn't target religion 
um, as long as it uh, just uh, you know, has an incidental burden, that's not its purpose, uh, then if you want relief, uh, the Constitution doesn't provide it. You have to go to the legislature and seek it there. And that's why we got the nearly unanimously passed Religious Freedom Restoration Act in Congress, signed by President Clinton, um, you know, led by that right-wing religious uh, zealot Teddy Kennedy in the Senate and Chuck Schumer in the House uh, at the time. Uh, and that's why we had about half the states getting their own uh, state uh, uh, referents. But that kind of consensus has changed over time. But regardless, Colorado does not have a referent, so that's not at play. And that's why the free exercise claim is being played out, as I described, uh, with regard to the law either being drawn or being applied uh, in a way that treats different uh, religious claims differently. I think the words of Justice Scalia in that case are quite relevant here, actually. He said, when you start granting these sorts of exemptions to one federal law or one state law or that, you know, one religious practice or another, the unavoidable consequence of democratic government uh, would be that each conscious is a law unto itself. And he later said that any society adopting such a system would be courting anarchy. Um, and I th- Sounds pretty good. I well, think that, that's why my proposed uh, test is, relates to expressive activity, as does the government's, as do the, uh, um, uh, the, the uh, Jack, Jack Phillips. Uh, way in the back there. Hi, my name is uh, Marie Rock, and my question... Could you put the microphone closer to Hi, me? my name is Marie Rock. My question for you, Mr. Shapiro, is that you were making the argument that you shouldn't force anybody to make a cake for something that was against their beliefs or their religion. Don't you think that creates a whole other realm where people can make the decision not to serve people because of their skin color or their anything that regarding their beliefs? So don't you think that's counterproductive to what the civil rights movement was going to going towards like not having segregation, not having allowing businesses to pick who they serve to. Like, aren't you, I, I kind of feel like you're dancing around the fact that like. Right, um, I guess I was completely opaque in everything I've said thus far because I've, I've uh, clearly distinguished between serving people and, and uh, conveying messages or working particular types of uh, events. And that's where the distinction between if you wouldn't serve someone this, uh, if, you, if you would serve others this, then you have to serve it to others and uh, to, to you know, the, 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 the class of people that you don't like. So let's say um, uh, a baker uh, is happy to sell a, a cake saying happy birthday to anyone except black people. Um, I would not excuse him uh, from that uh, because he is perfectly fine conveying the message happy birthday. Uh, he just doesn't like black people. On the other hand, um, he uh, believes that uh, a wedding cake celebrates a message, uh, celebrates an event, and it, as it does, uh, and he does not believe that uh, a same-sex wedding is something to be uh, celebrated, uh, and therefore um, will not create a, a, a cake for a same-sex wedding. But is perfectly, you know, or the uh, pro-gay rights uh, uh, case out of uh, Northern Ireland. Uh, he doesn't want to have a cake that says uh, yay gay marriage, or for that matter, nay gay marriage. Uh, and he won't sell that to anyone. That's perfectly fine. It's only when you're um, uh, making that decision based on the status of the customer rather than the message being conveyed or the event uh, towards it goes that you get into problems. Okay, we're right up against our time limit. Um, just before we break, uh, just to for reception out in the Winter Garden. Uh, there are restrooms on the first floor and downstairs uh, uh, on the, uh, uh, the, lob- uh, the lower lobby. 
Um, but before we leave, let's have a warm round of applause for our speaker. Very nice.